My name is Gerald. I'm one of the elders here, and it's good to be with you worshiping our Lord together today and marveling over this mystery about how this grace has come to us. Uh, Before we dive in on today's passage, I have a very important spiritual question for you. Broncos or Panthers? Broncos? Panthers. Okay, that was eight. One, two, three, four. How many of you just don't care? Okay. <laughs> Seems to be a popular vote. Um, so, I, you know, first service, there was one person that shouted out guacamole. They were just more excited about the snacks than anything. So maybe that's the camp you're in. I don't know. But um, today, what I'm hoping is that we don't take a similar line on our concern about our salvation. How many of you care about your salvation? <laughs> It'll happen one way or not, you know. Uh, I I don't know exactly how God's going to work it out, but he'll work it out, and I'll just be the recipient of that. That's not the attitude that we want, right? Um, First Peter is going to uh, show us again as we open it up, beginning to read at First Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. We're going to look at this salvation, and there are uh, several things that Peter wants us to understand about it because it's worth looking into. Uh, So we're going to dive in, we're going to read through this passage, but before we do, I just want to give you a brief roadmap of where we're going. So Peter's going to be teaching us specifically about this salvation. And his first three words are, concerning this salvation. So I've just ripped those off of the page of Scripture and used those as my sermon title today. And we'll be looking at at least three points concerning this salvation. One, Peter's going to show us that the prophets predicted it. Two, he's going to show us that the evangelists preach it. And three, he's going to show us that the angels look into it. So those are three points we're going to pay attention to along the way. So let's bow and ask the Lord's blessing, and then we'll read this passage and seek to understand it better together. Father, good morning. Uh, We worship you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for this mystery of how your grace has come to us, and we want to understand it better. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by which it has come to us, and we pray now that you would send forth your spirit to to fill this room and to fill each person here, that you might give us ears to hear so that we can understand what you want us to learn today, so that our hearts can be touched, our affections for you, and our understanding about this salvation, this grace that is ours, and how it comes to us. Uh, We might grow cognitively in our ability to understand it, to comprehend it, uh, so that we might steward it more faithfully. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So concerning this salvation, the first thing that Peter brings up to us in this paragraph is that the prophets predicted it. And the prophets just prophesied simply according to the information that was given to them by the Spirit of Christ. 
Look again at verses 10 and 11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. So they were just listening, keeping an ear to, if you will, the Spirit of Christ. Who is the Holy Spirit? So the Spirit of Christ was revealing things about God and about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's what Peter is, is showing us here specifically. The Spirit of Christ was revealing those things to these prophets. And they were just simply receiving them, receiving this revelation, and being faithful to write it down or to proclaim it through their mouths uh, as an, an accurate reporter of the information that was being revealed to them. They're not writing this story. They're simply hearing it and recording it as God is revealing it. So, and it's important to know that in the Old Testament, I'm sure you've read through certain portions of it, where there were people who claimed to be prophets. And those who claimed to be prophets were weighed by one thing. If they said, the things that they said, if they came to pass, they were a true prophet. But if the things that they prophesied did not come to pass, what was their fate? They were put to death because they were false prophets. In other words, they were just teaching their own fancies. So these prophets that Peter is talking about are the true prophets of God who are recorded in Scripture. And he's just saying that as they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, that they were searching and inquiring carefully. Who and when? Because what was being revealed to them was piquing their interest. So let's, I want to pause and look into the Old Testament. Primarily, we'll use Isaiah as our Old Testament prophet, and we'll seek um, revelations that God gave to Isaiah that unpack some of the sufferings of the, of the Christ, and we'll look into what God has revealed to the prophet Isaiah about some of the subsequent glories of Christ, and we'll wonder what it might have been like to be Isaiah, receiving these things and finding himself asking the question, who? When? When will this be? So looking at Isaiah 53, you can either turn to it in your word or you can look, follow it on the screen up here. We'll just read verses 3 through 5 of Isaiah 53, speaking of the sufferings of the Christ. Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." Can you hear Isaiah or imagine what he must have been thinking as the Spirit of Christ revealed this about the sufferings of Christ to him? Who, Lord, who will this be? What will this be like? And, the, and he, would, he would have searched and inquired carefully. That's what Peter is telling us here, is that these prophets did when they revealed these things about the sufferings and the subsequent glories. They searched and inquired, seeking to find answers to the questions, who? Or when? Now, looking at um, Isaiah 40, we will examine some of the subsequent glories that have been revealed to Isaiah by the Spirit of Christ. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, God reveals this Comfort, 
Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now these people knew well aware that they had sinned. They knew that they were living in the consequence of that sin. And they knew that there was warfare. So these words of the subsequent glories would have been sweet to them. Imagine Isaiah having this revealed to him and, and asking, when? When, Lord, and how? How will this be? The Spirit of Christ continued to reveal some of the subsequent glories to Isaiah, and we find another one of those recorded in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. So in Isaiah 61, this is the passage, if you remember, Jesus sits down in the temple, and he reads this from the scroll, and before he sits down, he says, what you have heard has been fulfilled in your hearing today. He says this about himself. This is what the Spirit of Christ revealed about some of the subsequent glories. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that they may be glorified. So can you imagine being Isaiah and receiving this revelation and wondering, Lord, when? When will this come about? Maybe you hear that now and that's the, the cry of your heart as you hear about this liberty for the captives or the binding up of the broken heart. Maybe you're wondering, Lord, when will you bind up my broken heart? When will you bring about these things that I long to see you bring about? When will I be free from this bondage to sin? When will you make me an oak of righteousness? That you may be glorified. So the prophets had these things revealed to them by the Spirit of Christ. And they were searching and inquiring carefully, looking into it, seeking to find further answers and more information about it. Have you ever lost something that was near to you or dear to you that you intensely wanted to find and spent a bunch of time and effort searching for it? There's a family in my Grace group, the Allens, and Grace lost the diamond out of her wedding ring months ago. And you can imagine the search that commenced about then. And it's been gone for months. And uh, this week, it was finally time to clean out the bag on the vacuum cleaner. So they said, well, maybe now is the time to look through that and one last shot to see if we can find this thing. So I don't know if you've ever done that. Have you ever looked into the bag of your vacuum cleaner? That is a scary place. (laughs) It's all balled up hair, right, and fibers. And stuck in the hair and the fibers are the goo of whatever else has been ground into the carpet. You know, if you've got young girls or kids living in your home, who knows what falls on the carpet, right? But it all gets mixed into that bag. So he, he opens up the bag and he starts pulling out the hair. 
and he's shaking it as he pulls it out, thinking, okay, the diamond's heavier than this hair, right? So it's got to fall out. So he's trying to be careful about it. And he finally, finally gets all of the hair and the goo and the clumps of stuff out of there. And he looks down in the bottom of the bag, and what's, what's down there, right? Dust and other such things that were heavier than the hair. Well, he has four young girls living in his home, one younger than the rest, but, uh, <laughs> and there's lots of bling that g goes with girls, right? You have sequined little princess dresses and you have uh, rhinestones from other sorts of earrings and things like that, so he found all sorts of those things down there too. But as he looked carefully, there amongst the dust was a shiny, clean diamond, the one that they had been looking for. But he searched carefully for it and he went places that you wouldn't want to go in order to find it. Well, is Danny's effort to find his wife's diamond at all analogous to what the prophets are searching and inquiring into? I don't know, but it's something of that flavor, right? These prophets had something revealed. Danny knew what? He knew that the diamond was lost. Didn't know exactly where, and he didn't know if he would find it. But these prophets, they knew what? They knew that the Christ would come and suffer. They knew that the Christ's suffering would bring about some subsequent glories. Those things were revealed to them. But they didn't know who. Who would this Messiah be? And they didn't know when. When would it come about? So they searched and they inquired for it. They put in effort. And as they were doing that, they realized another thing. Look at verse 12a. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Their ministry was pointing forward to the cross. Their ministry was not an end unto itself. It, there was a message, obviously, to be proclaimed at that time to God's people. But they realized as they searched and as they inquired that their ministry was one that was not just serving themselves, but it was serving New Testament believers. It was serving even people such as you and me. There are many prophecies about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Many of these have been fulfilled. And one of the ways that their prophecies, their ministry serves us now living in the modern times is that there are some prophecies of these subsequent glories that are yet to be fulfilled. So when we look back on the prophecies of the sufferings of Christ and we see how when Jesus enters the world and fulfills those, how we identify that Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah the prophet was talking about, we see these prophecies fulfilled. And we see some of the subsequent glories fulfilled too. So that when we hear other prophecies that will be fulfilled, we can bank on it that it's going to happen because the mouth of the Lord has declared it. Parents, you know the importance of being consistent when you're raising your children. Uh, you know how important it is that if you are going to tell them that you're going to give them a reward, for such and such behavior that you give them that reward. Or if you tell them there's a consequence for such and such a behavior, that you give them that consequence. They learn very quickly whether or not you mean what you say or say what you mean. And they can see right through it. But if you do say what you mean and mean what you say, and either the reward or the consequence comes about at the appropriate time and in the appropriate measure for their behavior, they know that when mommy or daddy say this, they mean it.
Because the last time they said this, it happened. Well, God is speaking. He's revealing himself to the prophets. And the prophets are recording this faithfully. And these prophecies are coming true because God has declared it that it would. And their ministry is serving us because we look back and we see Jesus fulfilling these sufferings. And he is the Messiah that they were waiting for, that we are longing for. And he is the one whose suffering purchased the redemption that brings about the subsequent glories. So as we read some of these Old Testament subsequent glories and we long for them, like Isaiah 61, we can be assured that someday they will come about because the Lord has declared that they will. And when God tells us through New Testament evangelists like Peter that we have an inheritance that, in, that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us, we have every reason to believe that, that it's true. And that one day we, by our faith in Christ, will step into that inheritance. We will receive it because God has declared that that is what is going to happen. The mouth of the Lord has spoken and what He says comes to pass. So concerning this salvation, one, the prophets predicted it thousands of years ago and their ministry continues to serve us today. And in fact, the essence of their message is the good news that we preach today that is preached to us and that we preach ourselves. So the second point concerning this salvation is that evangelists preach it. Look at verse 12a and b one more time. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The evangelists are preaching the same message that was predicted by the prophets. It's one message, Old Testament and New Testament. The essence of the message is the same because the God who is revealing these things is the same. He doesn't change. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. And the evangelist's ministry is one that points back to the cross. So the prophet's ministry was pointing forward to a time in the future when the Messiah would suffer. And the evangelist's ministry, your ministry, my ministry, is one that points back to the cross. And we can recognize that the prophets foretold it and it came to be. And it's with that confidence that we can proclaim these other subsequent glories will be a reality in our existence. And notice also that like the prophets, the evangelists are preaching by the Holy Spirit. Peter says here, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's the same Spirit. The Spirit of Christ inspired and revealed the things of God and the things of God's actions to the Old Testament prophets. And it's the Holy Spirit from heaven who is declaring to the evangelists and empowering their ministry or empowering our ministry. Same Spirit. And this is in direct fulfillment of Jesus' words that we find in John 16, verse 7, where Jesus said this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we know that not too long after that, Jesus did go away. He went to the cross. He suffered. He bled. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, He rose again. And in due time, He ascended to the 
right hand of the Father, to that place of honor and glory. And then, after that, that's when the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. And we see this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Remember that? In the day of Pentecost? After Jesus' ascension, the apostles and, and were, were huddled up in the room, waiting and praying, obedient, like, like they had been told by Jesus. And they're waiting, and all of a sudden, a, a mighty sound of rushing waters and a mighty wind comes upon them. And they were empowered and began to proclaim the things of God in languages they didn't know. And there was such a spectacle that the crowd that was gathered there looked at them and laughed and mocked and said, Ah, they're just full of new wine. They're just drunk. Never mind that it was nine in the morning. Right? But Peter, the author of our text today, filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up and he explains to them, No, these people aren't drunk. They're not full of new wine. But what you are witnessing here is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And he points back to the prophet Joel. And he says, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit, just like the prophets foretold. And they are now declaring the things of God in the power of God, by the power of God. And he continues to not mince words. He's talking to this crowd of people who ultimately sent Jesus to his death. And he, he, the essence of his message is God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Christ. And they were cut to the heart. And do you remember their response? What must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit sent from heaven is the same Spirit that revealed these things about the Christ to the Old Testament prophets. He is the one now that empowers the New Testament evangelists to proclaim that same message about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And like the prophets, the evangelists preach the sufferings of Christ, looking back to the cross, right? We tell people about the sin that is ours and its effects. We tell people why life is hard. We tell them how sin offends God and that only God can forgive because He is the offended party. And we tell people how sin requires a blood payment in order for that forgiveness to be granted, in order for that redemption to be purchased. And we tell how Jesus laid down His sinless life and absorbed the full wrath of God while He was on the cross so that those who believe in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. We do all of this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And like the prophets, the evangelists preach the subsequent glories. We look back. We look back on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, by which God places His stamp of approval on, on the sacrifice that Christ laid down as He laid down His life. We look back on the ascension of Jesus up to heaven and His seating at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor. We look back on that as a prophecies fulfilled, the subsequent glories that are fulfilled as a result of his obedient suffering. And we look around today and we can see even some of the subsequent glories in the church today. Listen to Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him be glory in the church. Some of the subsequent glories are what happens as God assembles and builds his church. This church is made up of people who haven't chosen to be in here. You've been chosen by God. Now, your circumstances have led to this perhaps being a, a convenient local church for you, but God still has placed you, according to 1 Corinthians, He has placed you individually in the body as He wills. Human decisions were made along the way, and that's a mystery how human decision plays into that. But the fact is, is that God has put us here. And we're a semi-diverse group. We may not otherwise choose to be here together. We may not otherwise choose to be friends, but that's how God puts his church together. And he does it in that way as a means of glorifying himself. He brings a diverse group of people together in the church. And he makes our bond in Christ to be the thing that brings us together, though we be different. It's not our worship styles. It's not our stage in life. It's not our personal preferences. It's our common ground that we stand on on the level ground at the foot of the cross when we recognize our need for grace. That's what brings us together in the church. And that is what glorifies God in the church. It's one of the things that glorifies Him. This is also why our first ministry value listed is the glory of God. We want everything that we do here in this church to bring glory to God. We want our worship we want our preaching, we want our ministries, we want our fellowship, we want the way that we interact in the hallway outside, we want the way that we take the grace of God outside these church walls to bring glory to Him. It's one of the subsequent glories. The fact that God can use frail and fallen people like you and me. He can empower us by His Holy Spirit and cause us to actually be used by Him as He builds His kingdom on this earth. It's a mystery. It's a marvelous mystery. So we can also look, look forward with hope on some subsequent glories. Consider uh, the prophecies of the book of Revelation that we are still waiting on to be fulfilled. The return of Christ to earth. That's a, that's a sure thing. It's going to happen. It's been prophesied, predicted. It will come about. And as he does, there will be just judgments meted out by Christ. He will judge the living and the dead according to the deeds lived out in the body. And he will do so with justice, righteous justice. Consider the binding of Satan and the subsequent millennial reign of Christ where the saints together with him rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. One of the subsequent glories. Consider the ultimate defeat of Satan. Can you imagine that? The enemy that has such sway in this world right now, and if we're honest, has a fair amount of sway in our own hearts right now. Can you imagine him being ultimately defeated so that we are no longer tugged away by his deception, by our false affections, by the flesh, the pull of the world? What a day that will be. The new heavens and the new earth. This earth is still beautiful, but it's fallen. This earth will pass away. One of the subsequent glories will be a new heaven and a new earth and an eternity of the most fulfilling existence that any of us can imagine, where we rule together with Jesus. 
doing meaningful and, and wonderful work. My mind can't wrap around it. But it's one of those things that has been prophesied, and I have to believe it, because what the Lord has said, He'll bring about. So concerning this salvation, just reviewing here, the prophets predicted it. The evangelists preach it. And both of these are pointing to and explaining and describing the same thing. One from, a, from the past looking forward, the other from the present looking back. And look with me at the last clause in verse 2, which is our final point. Things into which angels long to look. So the extension of this grace, the meeting out of this salvation, has the angels' curiosity. It's a mysterious verse. The word used here is also used by Luke in chapter 24, verse 12. What Luke is using this word to describe is Peter, again, our author, what he does when he hears that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Luke records it this way. He says, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So when Peter hears that Jesus is no longer in the tomb, he runs there and he stoops down and he looks into it to try to understand and, and, and comprehend that Jesus isn't there anymore. That's the same flavor of thing that these angels that we're being to told about, that's, that's the interest, the care, the concern that they have as they look at this salvation that we've been studying this morning, that Peter's been talking about. So why? Who are these angels and why would they be so curious about this? When you think about scriptures that de define angels and help us understand who they are, Hebrews comes to the front of my list. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 14 says this in answer to the question of, of who are angels. He says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So they're spiritual beings who serve God. Um, other scriptures say that they live forever in the presence of God. What a wonderful place. But they're sent out to serve you and me. People who are called to inherit this salvation. So they serve us. We can't always see them. But the author of Hebrews does continue in that letter to go on and say, Do not neglect to show hospitality, for some have entertained angels in so doing. Maybe an angel is sitting here among us today. Maybe as we step outside after this service and, and exercise hospitality to the homeless and the down and out in downtown Fullerton, there will be an angel among us. I, I don't know. But that's not what we're here to discuss today. What we're here to discuss is the fact that angels long to look into this great salvation. And it makes us wonder why. Because angels haven't fallen. The ones that fell, fell back in history, and they became the demons, the ones who aligned themselves with Satan. But these angels that Peter's talking about here, these are the ones that are faithful, that their, their allegiance has never been compromised to God. They have always done His bidding. They have always been at His attention and humbly, obediently fulfilling their ministry, serving those of us who will inherit salvation. Worshiping Him. We get to see pictures like that. They don't need 
this grace. They don't need redemption. They don't need salvation. But the way God has communicated it and the way God is administering it out to his people like you and I who need it has their curiosity. It's that marvelous. And they long to look into it. And unlike the angels, we all find ourselves in dire need of this grace. We know what it's like to be a fallen creature living in a fallen world, needing the hope of Christ. We need this grace that's been predicted by the prophets and is being proclaimed today by the evangelists, Lord willing, by you and by me. And we all need it. That's one of our fourth points here about this salvation is we all need it. And it's about grace. Look again at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. This salvation is about grace. It's meted out by God's grace. Apart from an act of God's sovereign grace, this salvation doesn't come to anybody. And that grace comes on the basis of faith. Look what 1 Peter says again in, in verse 9. He says, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So this salvation comes to us by grace through faith. And that sounds familiar to us, right? Paul wrote about that in Ephesians, helping us understand that it's not by works so that nobody can boast. It's by grace through faith. And grace, frankly, is counterintuitive to me. God helps those who help themselves, right? Isn't that somewhere in Scripture? <laughs> no. No, it's not. But how often do I live that way? How often do I live in a way that says, Lord, I, I must do something to earn your favor. I must clean myself up, at least in part, before I can return to you when I find myself in sin. I must... Uh, get my life right with you before I could ever return to that church called grace and expect the people there to love me. Those are all lies. Because the people that are here are struggling for grace just like you. We all need this grace. And it comes to us only by grace. We're all bankrupt. We're all born spiritually bankrupt and up to our eyeballs and beyond in spiritual debt that we could never pay. But God knows that, and He reaches into it with a word of hope. He sends His Son to be the suffering servant, to live a sinless life, to completely fulfill His righteous standard of holiness, completely fulfilled it. So God then, with His character intact, with His integrity intact, on the basis of the acceptable sacrifice of His Son, can extend forgiveness to you and I based on faith in that person and that work that has been completely accepted by God the Father Himself. This is the grace that we all need. This is the grace that is, was being talked about and prophesied, predicted by the prophets, that is proclaimed by the evangelists and that we all need. Lastly, those who receive this grace, praise God for it. That's what 1 Peter says again. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Those who receive this grace, praise him for it because he is worthy. 
We recognize that we are not worthy. We recognize that we could never earn His favor. And He yet extends it to us. He reaches down into our mess and He offers you, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest from your striving to try to earn my favor. I'll give you rest from the struggles of this earth. I'll give you rest from the pain of unfulfilled expectations. I'll give you rest for whatever ails you. Because he's a good and a gracious and a merciful God. But the only proper response to this offer of grace is faith. Saving faith. Personal trust. And those who do that offer God praise for it. So by way of conclusion, I'd like us to think about this concerning this salvation. The prophets predicted it. The evangelists preach it. The angels long to look into it. We all need it. And those who receive it, praise God for it. So as a result, I've got four notions of application that I would like us to respond with. One, let's follow the angel's lead and be curious about this salvation. Let's look into the pages of this book, the Old Testament and the New Testament, because it's the same God who penned it. It's the same message recorded in it. These are the words of life. He told Joshua, when you order your life according to this, then you will know success. That's when the desires of your heart will be fulfilled. So let's be a people whose curiosity is piqued and follow the lead of the angels and study his word. Let's discuss it with others in our grace groups, in our fellowship, outside in the patio over coffee and, or in the hallway rather, over coffee and cookies and carrots, uh, in our grace groups, wherever we might be. Let's be a people who talks about it and seeks to understand it takes our questions to one another and, and seeks to help one another find answers. And as we do, we'll find that it's all about grace. So let's do that. Secondly, let's be a people who receive the grace that's offered to us. Let's receive it. God is offering it to us. Maybe you've never received His grace and, you, and today is the day of salvation where you respond to His offer of grace by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as you're good enough your righteousness, your holiness. Maybe today is the first day that you will learn what it feels like to have a peace that passes understanding in your mind and in your heart. That can be yours if you respond to this offer of grace to you. Maybe you need to respond to that and receive that grace to you again. Maybe you're in Christ and you need to re-receive it. I find myself in that position often. So God is extending grace. Let's be people who receive it. Thirdly, let's be people who worship God for it. Let's understand this salvation. Let's marvel at the mystery of it. Let's praise God for His wisdom in it. And let's be people who, who are not slow to give words to our praise, who are quick to pray, who are quick to sing, and sing heartily because God is worthy of our worship. Let's be people who are quick to live lives characterized by worship, not just in here on Sundays, but out there, Monday through Saturday, through Sunday, 365 a year. And let's be a people who is so amazed by this grace that is ours in Christ that we can't keep our mouths shut. Let's proclaim it. Let's proclaim it to people inside the church who are 
weighed down and defeated by the, by the fall. Let's proclaim it as a message of hope to them. Let's proclaim it as a message of life to people outside this church who have yet to trust Christ. This is a marvelous salvation brought out to us by a marvelous and a gracious God. Let's be faithful stewards of it. I want to spend just two minutes in silence. And then after that, I'll break the silence and begin to pray. And I would like you to pray corporately after me with that. And after a season of us praying corporately, Jesse and his team will come up and help us worship in song. A couple of minutes of silence, just seeking to have the Lord reveal to you what you need to learn as a result of studying this salvation today. And we glorify your holy name because you are worthy. In your wisdom, you reached down into the muck and to the mire and you purchased our redemption. You sent your Son, your perfect, righteous Son, who lived a perfect and righteous life and for the joy set before him laid his life down to purchase our redemption. Lord, it's a masterful plan. Just when the enemy thought he was having the upper hand and was going to win by sending Jesus to the cross, you flipped the tables on him and that ended up ultimately being his demise. Lord, we praise you that he is a defeated foe. We praise you that one day we will see him bound. One day he will be ultimately defeated and his influence will not affect us anymore. Will not hinder our worship and our praise to you. It will not cause our affections to be otherwise placed than on you. It will no longer trip us up. It will no longer cause us to live or speak in a way that tarnishes your glory, Lord, but we will be freed from this sin. How we long for that day. We praise you that it is secure, kept in heaven for us. We long, Lord, to, to grow into it. Thank you for the grace that is ours here on this earth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit. Thank you for how you are using the people in this congregation to sanctify the other people in this congregation, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being used by you as you build your church and as you expand your kingdom here on this earth. Lord, I pray that each one of us would grow in our love for and understanding of this salvation that is ours in Christ. And that would be increasingly good at worshiping you for it and proclaiming it to others. Lord, we want to see this message go out with power. We want to see by your grace people respond. We want to see new believers baptized in this sanctuary, Lord. We want to see them discipled in these grace groups. We want to see future elders raised up and equipped. We want to glorify you with everything that we do. That can only happen by the power of your Spirit. So send forth your Spirit, Lord. Fill us, lead us, and guide us. Be worshipped and glorified, we pray. Lord, you've heard our hearts, and you know the position of them. You know if our hearts are hard or if they're soft. You know if they're cold or if they're hot. You know uh, our affections and our desires. So I pray, Lord, um, that you would hear the desires of our heart, that you would be worshipped and honored by us, by the way that we live, by the way that we speak, by the way that we serve. And I pray that that would bring glory unto you. 
Lord, I pray that you wouldn't be limited by what we have or haven't asked, but that you'd be pleased to do all that you have purpose to do. Thank you for the privilege of working together with you as a partner, the privilege of being used by you as an ambassador uh, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, I pray that you would make us effective to that end. And as you do, would you be glorified? We want to take many, many, many people with us as we are glorified, Lord. And as we gather around your throne to worship and as we step into our eternity of significant and meaningful existence with you in, the, in your presence and from in the freedom of sin. So Lord, help us, empower us, be worshipped by us and be glorified by us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.